Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of my podcast series. I'm now excited to say that I'm one month in and I have so much more content to pump out. This week I've been lucky enough to speak with Sonia Keats, a mindset and mental health coach who helps women to discover the root causes of their trauma and anxiety helping them to conquer negative emotions which are affecting their day-to-day lives. We talk about narcissistic abuse, domestic violence, mindfulness, therapeutic techniques to heal. I hope you enjoy. How are you? How was your meeting? Yeah, good. I was just doing some EFT. It was a charity um, one. I was doing some a group group session of EFT. And everyone had so many different things going on for them but um yeah it was it was lovely to connect with them all i have no clue what eft stands for so you're gonna have to fill me in oh it's, it's emotional freedom technique so you might have heard it being called tapping um it's similar to acupuncture and it just releases um negative energy um and releases then the negative emotions that have been trapped so we, we so it's sort of like um it was, it was a combination of cbt and acupuncture in a more gentle way that's how I describe it. <laughs> Probably even else in the world would describe it as that, but that's how I say it. I've had CBT um, therapy, so I know I know what that is. Cognitive. Mm-hmm. Cog- yeah. I can't even say it. <laughs> I actually I did as well, but I didn't, I didn't like it when I had CBT. It didn't work for me, but once I started doing the EFT, um, it shifted things. But other people find CBT really cognitive behavioural therapy really helpful, isn't it? I I agree with you. It helped me in some ways, but I I don't know. I have many qualms with like the NHS and things like that. I do think that certain therapy techniques need to be made available because they're very hard to get hold of, very expensive for some people, and I think there's more that should be offered just than just CBT. 100%. And it's been around for ages as well. They've had it like, it was a big thing. Gosh, when I was young, I think it was like in the 90s, late 90s, massive or early early millennium. And um, I'm like, why have they not changed? Like, it's not working. Yeah. <laughs> Mental health is getting worse. So, well, you know, come on guys, let's look at something else with it maybe. Yeah. So true. How did you become a mindset and mental health coach? Oh, even it was because I myself struggled for so so long, and I never felt heard. I I never it, nothing they said to me made sense. What they were telling me why I was had depression and then why I had anxiety nothing made sense to me. And when I questioned them upon it, I wasn't getting answers. I was just told it was a chemical imbalance, and I would ask, "Can you prove that? Prove it to me." because you're giving me medication and it just doesn't add up to me. And I was never really asked about circumstances or anything else. And then later on, I actually went into network marketing and in network marketing, there's a lot of personal, I know a lot of people have got negative um, connotations about network marketing. For me, it's phenomenal. Um, Not just the opportunity, but the um, personal development, second to none. And it's like free counselling, right? And through personal development, I started to realise that what was going on for me wasn't a chemical imbalance. I started to gain a bit of self-esteem. I started to see ways out of things. And so 
I started really applying what I was taught with network marketing. And then I started looking for more sort of resources and different ways of managing things. And I found through nutrition, through exercise and lots, like lots of different bit of NLP, a bit of DNA light up, a bit of EFT, all of these combination of things massively changed my life, completely changed it around. Um, and then I decided to share that with other people. And I was just doing that as I was naturally talking to people anyway. And some of them found it helpful. And, and then I thought, oh, how can I reach more people? Let's just let's just go and put it out there. So a more a more holistic approach, would you say, than normal normal coaches? So you you incorporate like healthy eating, diet, and getting to the root cause of the problem more than just here. Get here's some pills, here's some antidepressants that will solve your problems you dig a bit deeper a hundred percent i i feel when a person understands why they're feeling a certain way and notice what the cause of it is then we can start to change things if we choose to not yeah. everybody's open to change it is hard it's hard but what then i give them is the tools and techniques that are the i mean i've spent thousands and thousands and decades like a couple of decades nearly now on this and so what I bring to my clients is the stuff that works quickest for me and easiest and yeah. gave the long-term results because some things worked, but it was really hard work. And so when you're already anxious or stressed or overwhelmed, depressed, you know, foggy headed, you don't want to add to that. So what I do is I just share the things that are going to be really easy, really simple that even kids can do because often our children are affected by our behavior as mums by our behavior and it's really important to me that we don't pass that on another generation so I often use the things that are going to naturally start to impact the kids even accidentally if the mum isn't even deliberately doing it as well so yes it's that was a long-winded way of me saying yeah it's encompassing it all but the, the the main point is understanding why what made you want to start working with women's health specifically um I just think I, I just think we've got a hard, really hard time of everything. Um, I actually think if I do I do get requests from men um, in the last twelve months that's gone up. Um, so I will I do help guys as well, but generally um, I reach out to women. Um, and whether this sounds sexist or not, it doesn't really matter. We we are slightly different, but we do have the same. You know, we do have the same issue. So I, I am open to working with guys. I, I choose to mostly work with women because some women feel safer um, speaking with another woman. And I sometimes work in group sessions as well as one to one. So in those group sessions, if I invite men, then some women won't come, especially being Muslim. Yeah. Then I it's, it's quite difficult. So even when I did Ramadan support group, I would do Ramadan support group every year. Um, the women didn't want the men on there some of them some of them so I ran two separate groups and it's it's hard then I, I want to be able to give my all to the people that I'm working with but I I do what I understand as well because I guess also some of your the people that come to you may be victims of abuse at the hands of men mm -hmm. or trauma at the hands of men and having a man in their safe space where they come to be vulnerable and to talk about, you know, what's affected them could be mm. quite triggering. Mm. 
So I, yeah, I, I do understand that. I also feel like it's a good thing that mental health is more openly discussed now and that there is so much help and support on offer. What do you think has helped sway this movement forward in society? Um, the fact that we're sort of more open about it. Yeah. You know, in my community, actually, in the Muslim community, we're only just starting to sort of acknowledge it. Um, so for me, when I work with the Muslim sisters, it's very different to how I work with non-Muslims, actually. They are less likely to come forward and speak about it openly, and it's really slowly gentle steps. The reason I feel that it's come out is the same as with um, sort of all things is that I, I think social media is massive, actually. Everyone's got, again, they don't like social media. It's got all this negative stuff is giving people a voice and it's allowing people to feel socially accepted. Because if we're living in a town in a city and we're quite isolated, we've got a certain group of friends or a certain family that don't let us talk about things. When suddenly we see other people talking about it on social media, outside of things, then we suddenly, oh, oh, it is normal. Oh, it is okay to feel this. And so people have started speaking about it more. And I think then the government, the schools, other families, can't keep hiding that and so they've had to step up i don't i don't feel this i still i think the there's a lot more to do yeah oh gosh i mean it's gonna i don't even know how they're gonna change everything around i just think it's gone so far that way um it's gonna take millions and millions and millions to sort start it out sort it out um so it feels quite overwhelmed but if you can just change one per like one person's life they will impact their children their grandchildren and the people around them as well this is so true how can the women that come to you benefit from the free six-month mental health program that you offer i think it's oh, so women's health network yeah it's so the women's health network they're amazing they, they came to me and just said sonia would you be able to do this this program um, and it's charity led and it was actually first of all based in the Isle of Dogs and it was because of all the COVID stuff that had gone on, the anxiety had gone up, depression had gone up and they, they were really worried. And then we extended it outwards, we realised it's not, it's not just the Isle of Dogs that are struggling, it's been you know, really um, hard for so many people. Um, and so yeah we've done, we've done, I did the fifth session this morning, got one more left but people are welcome to jump onto that. Um, they are benefiting because they're starting to notice what's causing their anxiety. They're starting to see the triggers of it. They're starting to notice how long they're holding on to those triggers. And I've given them some tools to interrupt that um, to them to be able to handle it a bit more. We also did a session on domestic abuse and spotting the signs of it because- I was gonna I, ask you about that in a moment. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll wait then, I'll wait for that one. And then, and then today we had an EFT session. We had a full on hour of group EFT. And then next time we're gonna bring in some positivity and some good feelings and good vibes back as well. Cause we often deal with the negative and then don't think, oh, hang on a minute. I'd like, how do I feel positive again? How yeah. do I find what I love and I enjoy? I don't know myself anymore. So we're gonna do that next session. How have you found working during the pandemic? Um, would your, your sessions usually be in person? And what issues have the women that you have been helping during the pandemic been facing? What type of things have you been, you know, coming, have people been coming to you with? What type of challenges? Um, through the pandemic, I actually, I, I swapped all to Zoom calls. 
anyway obviously for not being able to work in person I used to work a lot on zoom anyway so for me it wasn't a problem I think for clients initially you know if they're not used to technology we take have a few hiccups but most people are now used to zoom calls I some clients actually prefer it and I can understand why because it's kind of we're so used to hiding behind a screen now especially when we've got anxiety or depression it can almost feel like that got that bit of safety barrier not being quite so vulnerable just yet as in going to a clinic or going to someone's house being face to face so it's worked really well actually and we've not had anybody um not you know I've not been able to help for, for having to change onto zoom so it's been good um um and it helps us oldies like me get used to tech. <laughs> you're all right, you're very young, Washala. The, the, the main reasons, and the, and the reason why I kind of often do focus, focus on the domestic abuse, narcissistic abuse, actually, specifically. Yes, um, we're going to get into that. <laughs> I, I just found that most of my clients that were coming to me, that was the cause. And yeah. they, some of them had started to realise, some of them had no clue. And I never tell anybody anything. They just work it out for themselves and we go through the process. And so I say 99% of the women that came, well, I found coming to me, their symptoms of anxiety and the symptoms of depression were actually masking what was actually happening for them, which is this abuse. And so that it's just naturally that's that's who I end up. And it, it might not be their partner. It can be from childhood or a, a work colleague um, or a friend um, that is, it's been working with. But on the few that have come to me that that hasn't been the, the um, cause it's always from childhood it's always from childhood something happened in their childhood and it's still you know the brain's just allowing that to continue on into adulthood what are the signs of narcissistic abuse because i know you could have a narcissistic parent slash parents husband boyfriend um sibling co-worker main caregiver what are the signs um of narcissistic abuse that listeners can look out for. I did a really interesting podcast with HG Tudor from Knowing the Narcissist, a yes. diagnosed uh, antisocial personality, psychopath, narcissist, who spoke about online dating and the signs women can, can watch out for. Because as you and I both know, narcissists are everywhere. Mm. And it's I feel like the word is banded around a lot and people don't really understand what a narcissist is, what a narcissist does. You know, many people are left suffering with like CPSD, PTSD or whatever it's called, complex mm -hmm. PTSD, and a number of, of conditions that can be triggered from, from having to deal with a person like that. So what are the signs people can look out for? What are the typical relationship cycles that abusers tend to put their victims through if it's um and it, and it will work in everything the only the only time that this bit is missed is when it's a parent so we have that the love bombing period so if you're dating someone or they're your friends or even if it's your boss or your co-worker initially you will be the most amazing person in the world they've never met anybody quite like you they totally adore you want to spend all their time with you they'll text you constantly they'll be praising you really bigging you up um with a parent child they don't need to do that a, a, a child is totally dependent on their parent as it is but later on they might use it so notice this love bombing so if you're especially on the dating sites oh my goodness so you you meet somebody and they text you constantly they send you those little gifts and the little emojis and all of that and you start to feel this addiction 
and you'll start to feel when they're not messaging you or not contacting you, you're missing them really quickly. And it can be mistaken for this, this love or yeah, this love um, and lustful state. And it'll feel like total whirlwind. They might buy you gifts. They might take you out for, you know, really amazing dinners. Um, they may make all these promises. Sometimes it doesn't always come true. So they might not buy the gifts. They might just promise you all these gifts. Yeah. Uh, but basically you feel like you're the best person in the world. And then they will um, start the sort of devaluing um, part of it. And this is just a test. Oh, the point where they're love bombing you, by the way, they will start to ask you a lot of questions. So you start to open up about yourself. So initially, some people assume that a narcissist is only going to talk about themselves. Now, they might do. They might just talk about how amazing they are. So you think they're wonderful. And the, the whole community, they're often a pillar of the community, by the way. So, you know, doctors, teachers, they've got a good standing in the community, but not always. So they may well ask you a lot of questions about you and you suddenly feel, wow, somebody's really interested in me. They'll have chosen you for a reason, by the way. They'll have noticed that you might be confident, but you've got a bit of low self-esteem. They'll notice you're vulnerable and they will get you to share your deepest thoughts, your major concerns, whatever is going to make you most vulnerable to them. You're going to, they're going to get you to open up and share it with them. And so you'll find yourself feeling that you've met your soulmate because this person adores you even though you've shared your darkest moments and they are there for you okay they'll make you feel that they're truly there for you now this is hard because we've got to make sure that this isn't genuinely somebody that is an empath that is a genuinely your soulmate so there's little tests that we can do so I say just slow it down a bit don't reply to their text messages for a couple of hours just take a step back Maybe cancel a date if you've arranged a date and you're going to notice how they respond. Are they going to be annoyed or irritated that you didn't text? They might say, hey, I saw you text. You saw my text and you've not replied back to me. Those little comments like that. Who are you online to if you're not speaking to me? Why have you not replied? Or if they get angry that you've cancelled their date, even though they'll cancel on you multiple times. So just slow it all down when you feel a relationship going very, very fast. Just slow it down is my biggest tip with that. They will then start the devalue stage, which is where they will um, start to put you down. But it's often very subtle to start off with. And they'll bring a bit of that love bombing back. So they might say something like, um, oh, wow, I love how she's dressed over there. I wish you'd dress like that for me. Then you might, you might even speak up at that point and say, you know, that really hurt my feelings. And he will then change that all around so that it's put upon yourself. So you're gonna question yourself. So it's gonna say, oh no, I just meant that you'd look amazing. You wouldn't think that I'd put you down. That's really upset me. So then you feel guilty about bringing something up that upset you in the first place. And he may then start to ignore you for a little bit because you dared to bring it up. And then you're like, oh gosh, I, I must've made him feel really bad. And then you'll start to text him and I'm really sorry. And what's happened? You've been gaslit by him. So he's made a comment, you felt rubbish in yourself, which he knows you will. Then you've tried to explain that and he's put you down. And then you feel guilty because you're now judging him, assuming he deliberately put you down or made you feel bad. So it goes in this massive mess of a cycle. And then if you get him back from that point, he might love bomb you again. Just to, And he's just testing, just testing the ground. This can be the other way around. Women do it to men as well. And men do it to men in the workplace, women to women. And it's just testing the boundaries. And then that devaluing stage will get harder. You know, they'll, they'll be crueler um, and they'll use the stuff that you shared with them against you. Oh, no wonder your mum doesn't like spending time with you when you're like this because you've maybe been a bit upset with him about something. 
So you've already shared that you and your mum don't have a great relationship. And he, what's he going to do to hurt you and put you down? Then you'll think, oh, gosh, it's not just my mum. It's him. Who's wrong? There's two people that are right. Who's feeling wrong? Maybe it is me after all. So you start questioning yourself. You start questioning reality. Um, and that leads to really low self-esteem and major anxiety because you don't speak up. And major depression because this man that really loved you, or person that really adored you, now is seeing your true self, your true faults, which is what you were scared of at the beginning, which is why you were so amazed that you felt you could open up to him. And it leaves you in a mess. And then in between of that, there's a whole host of other abusive cycles that he does in that. It's not just those, those couple of ways. Is the silent treatment one of them? You know, mm -hmm. the ignoring whether it be in person or from a mm -hmm. distance, the complete, you haven't done something that I wanted you to do, you may not know what you've done, you may have done nothing wrong, but they'll ignore you and you're constantly chasing like a hamster on a wheel to try and find out what's wrong and to win back their affection. Yeah, it, it's absolutely deliberate. My ex said to his friend, oh, I'm just gonna ignore her for three days when I was messaging and apologizing for something I hadn't even done wrong. And he said to Ben, oh, I'm just gonna punish her by making her wait a few days and then she'll be, or it'll be all right again. And the friend messaged me and said, this is what he's doing. But still I was desperate, desperate that he would forgive me for something that I hadn't done. It's a deliberate punishment. If you think about, um, you know, um, imprisonment, what's the worst punishment? They put you in isolation. At school, we were told back in the old days, you're much younger than me. I don't know if they still do it anymore, but we had to stand and face the wall. A gate away from everybody else. We weren't allowed to participate with anybody else. My parents used to send me upstairs in my bedroom. That was like to get me out of the way. This isolation is used as punishment and has been for a long, long time. You think about survival mode in the community back in the old days. If you were shunned from community, you often would, you know, you'd die or you'd be left on your own in the wild. So it's a very natural instinct for us to want to be connected with the people that are meant to look after us, especially when a narcissist has isolated you from friends and family, who have you got left? Him, he isolates you, what have you got? You're in survival mode, you know, how am I gonna cope with this? So it's a very um, manipulative tool that's very, very effective. Do you have a lot of women that are trying to leave those types of relationships contacting you? Yeah, all the time. Every week I'll have two or three women reaching out to me. And has it like, I guess, being in lockdown, if you're in one of those relationships would have been hell. Mm. So has the problem like got worse during the pandemic? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think the um, victims are noticing more and also the perpetrators are acting up more because they're out of control. A narcissist needs to feel in control of everything. And when we're out of control and the government are telling us what to do and you can't go back to work, they're not getting their kicks from somebody else. Definitely in those first, those lockdowns that we had, it massively went up. And I know that the statistics showed that as well and all the women leaving. So yeah, without a doubt, it's, it's really, and don't forget, this is um, the kids as well. People just assume that they are just witnesses to this. Yeah. The abuse is against nearly every single time the abuse is against the children. The number of women that say to me, oh, he's not abusive to the children, not physically, just emotionally. The emotional side of this sort of abuse is equally as damaging as any physical abuse, abuse ever, ever is. It changes the brain forever when it's in a child. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I think it's best to try and get as far away from these abusers 
when you have children as quickly as possible because it can leave long lasting damage on a child whether that be physical or emotional abuse a lot of them have to deal with things like complex PTSD um some of them can even become narcissists themselves or or you know borderline personality is from trauma so yeah the outcome can be horrific and I think it's really good if people try and end that cycle and Mm. narcissists usually born out of abuse themselves like they they're made from abuse or is it they just come into that world. Come, come. You know what? There's just so many. It's the same as any mental health thing. So they 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 are always searching for the reason. What like I studied sociology. Sociology. I haven't studied so psychology. I've yeah. done counselling courses. I've not studied psychology. For but apart from little bits that I'm watching. For me, sociology is where most things are at. So I believe that if people are brought up in this sort of environment that yeah you might go on to be more likely to be a victim or you're more likely to be an abuser because you're picking up these patterns like we all pass on our you know how many times we get to the age of four go oh my gosh I sound just like my mother and it's just that's what happens that there's other lines of thoughts and and one of them um is to do with um as we're growing up when something happens between the age of naught to five and it might not be to do with the parenting but I can't remember quite what it is, so I'm just going to explain. Them. I, I always simplify things. So we have um, something inside of our brains and an empath will have more of them. And I remember it being a spindles. So I'll read the book again. And narcissists have less of them. And it makes the narcissist um, have less, you know, no empathy. That's the biggest sign of a narcissist is this lack of empathy. You'll yeah. notice they have that. They can sit and watch horrific things on the news and on the website and you'll see no emotion from them. It's, it's shocking. They can feign it. They can pretend to be emotional, by the way. Um, so just watch out that. But it's to do with these spindles. So um, empaths will have too much of something and narcs will have too little of something. And if, uh, if somebody um, has too little of it, they can never grow it. So they can't change, which is why we see abusers go into prison or just going from relationship to relationship to relationship, they can never change. And they can make all these promises to change, but they cannot actually change. So women say to me, can I change narcissist? No, no, you, you, you can't. So people will have narcissistic traits, all of us. All of us have got some sort of manipulation. Even when we're saying to the kids, you know, eat two more mouthfuls of peas or you're not having your ice cream. That's manipulation, but that's okay. Okay, so we're looking at a spectrum, but a narcissist, is deliberately using these tools and techniques to control other people in a negative, negative way. And so, um, so I've gone off on a tangent now. I've got what no, I'm no, saying. completely fine. <laughs> and so I just go right round to the beginning again. So I, was, it, I was enjoying it. I was listening. <laughs> I just come off on what, but they, yeah, so they cannot change and there's no point trying to change it. But if they've only got narcissistic traits and there's somebody um like that with the parenting thing okay so there might be better ways of parenting maybe we just don't have the ice cream we're just going to encourage them to eat their food and explain about nutrition in an age-appropriate way so we love you so much the peas are going to be beneficial for you so they can change they can change that manipulation or they want to improve their parenting as such if you feel that's the problem uh which I, i i don't feel is a problem i use it sometimes myself um but um when it's a narcissist, they cannot change. So they will go to therapy, some of them, very few, some of them. They'll go to the GP or they'll go to counselling. And what they're actually going to do at that is learn other tactics and other tools and other techniques to abuse their victim. So there's just, they cannot change. 
What other issues um, such as domestic abuse do you offer support for? So how would you, if a domestic abuse victim came to you, how would you offer them support? Um, I work alongside um, a CIC, a community interest um, company called Unchained Phoenix, which is run by CAM. This, this is run by um, seven of us who have all ourselves experienced narcissistic abuse, whether it's from parents or partners. Um, and so we have experienced it ourselves so we can truly, truly understand what the women are that callers are going through and we've got a whole host of resources we've got the helpline and then we what we do is then we go on to um link them up with whatever resources are needed for them so asian women will need certain things women that um from the traveling backgrounds will need different things women who want housing will need something different some women want to stay and we're giving them some tools to help them cope with things as they're going so i just send resources and books and direct them to where they need the help that they're asking for and has there been like a major spike in that? Because I remember seeing last week with the, the football going on that if England lost, there was a statistic put out by, a, I think it was a women's charity that said that domestic abuse, um, abuse and violence goes up in households um, mm. when, when we lose the football. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, any anything that's going to involve a lot of alcohol which generally those sorts of things do that will always fuel an abuser you know it, it's just something that they then loosen up even more and they get you know especially when they're angry people get very upset about their football team losing and also people go along there just to just to cause trouble don't they we saw what was going yeah. on beforehand so these sorts of abusive people although they might only ever abuse their wife they are abusers to other people without being spotted quite often. They'll change friends quite a lot. So yeah, it massively spikes in there. It spikes in Ramadan in the Muslim community. It spikes when the horse fairs go on for the traveling community because they're all coming together. It spikes over Christmas time when it should be a time of coming together and happiness and joy. So it's um, whenever the people are gonna be in close contact, alcohol's involved, celebrations, it's all extra pressure. I also noticed that you tackle anxiety, mm. um, which is something I have, you know, had a bit of a roller coaster ride with myself at certain points in my life. Mm. What, what, what causes anxiety? How can we overcome it? And what, what ways do you help people get a hold of it? So, so most, like I said, most of the women that come to me for anxiety with my coaching side of things, um, that's when we've discovered that often it's been through this, this narcissistic abuse and something from childhood. So they might not have experienced the abuse when they were children, but something in childhood triggered them to be more susceptible to being abused by other people. Often low self-esteem, low self-worth, not being heard. Um, yeah, punishments such as isolation as a child or a loss as a child. So it, it's always from childhood, always, always, always. Anxiety is normal, okay? Anxiety is there to keep us safe, isn't it? In the old days, we'd come out of the cave and look a bit, bit anxious, the adrenaline's pumping, we're looking, there's a tiger. What goes up? Anxiety goes up. What happens with long-term anxiety, which is dangerous for us and harmful for us, is it doesn't then switch off. So what will happen if we see a tiger, either we'll, we'll fight it and kill it, hopefully, um, and then the adrenaline will come down over time, or we'll flight, we'll disappear off, um, and then the adrenaline will come down when we've escaped. 
Um, there's also fawn, which is where somebody will um, try and take allegiance, which is often the Stockholm syndrome or with abusive relationships, they start to um, try and make the abuser like them. Can't really do that with a tiger, but possibly can try and feed it so it would become your friend. And then the anxiety is lessened a little. Um, or we can do the fainting as well. Some people faint, don't they, and they get really, really scared. Now that's fine in those circumstances. It's meant to switch off. But when we're with an abuser or when the anxiety hasn't switched off because, for example, our childhood, we've had somebody that's been poor childhood, they've been in and out of hospital, and that stress that it's put upon the body going backwards and forwards and worrying about everything, it's not learned to switch off. And so the anxiety then continues and we're on fight or flight all of the time. And then we're getting the adrenaline rushing around our body It's on overdrive and we get burnt out. And then we can end up with things like fibromyalgia, with MS, with diabetes, even with cancer. So it affects us for our whole life. And what we're looking at is, okay, what is the cause of this? Okay, something happened here. And our brain is just trying to keep us safe now as an adult. It's not recognized that the danger has gone. It is still on overdrive. So we're looking at switching it off. And then when I use that, the tools that I use, I use a lot of EFT, a lot of calming, mindfulness, which I, you know, these words, I used to be like, oh, pukey, they sound so awful, guided meditation, mindfulness, you know, I'm not a hippie, it works because it's natural. These are things we would naturally be doing to calm our system down, would be outside, being with loved ones, having touch. I don't know about you, but I used to hate anyone touching me. I used to say, I don't like hugging. I just never had experienced that unless it was in an abusive way. It just didn't have that sort of um, thing. But touch naturally is something that calms our nervous system. We're meant to be doing it. And, I, and nutrition, nutrition and exercise, grounding techniques, earthing techniques. These are all things that we'd naturally be doing. They're very, very simple, little changes, one step at a time. So it's, um, that's, that's how I tend to work with women. But everyone's individual and I will work with um, what works for them at that moment in time amazing amazing I was just thinking to myself I went to like a holistic type doctor a couple of years ago because I have vitiligo um, mm. and I know that's like autoimmune stress mm. induced like it does get worse when I'm stressed and he told me to like basically changed up my diet looked at the root cause of my problem for me what was personal for me what was causing me stress and I started yoga and meditation and all of that type of stuff. And I did actually notice changes. My vitiligo was redacting. It was like <laughs> changing wow. and disappearing. Um, and then I got over it. I like went to Greece on holiday and I was on the beach and I was like, I'm just not afraid anymore. I'm happy with my body. It's <laughs> I went through all of the stress to end up there. Anyway, I digress. Um, no, even at all. Even even just going to Greece is a good way, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Who's not going to feel good? But uh, so I, what was it? So I work on a, the th three main areas, and the first is a conscious level. And if we work on just a conscious level without discovering what's going on subconsciously, it's really hard. So you can battle up with mindset, which is why I say mindset, mindset and mental health coach. So I do work on the mindset, but you can't be positive, positive, positive when there's something subconsciously blocking that. So that's why I work on the subconscious level as well. And then also in a, a cellular level, because what's going on in our physiology um, is that that fight and flight, we're all inflamed. Um, so I'm calming that down at the same time. So I work on those three areas all the time, and no matter who it is, 
otherwise it's not going to work long term it might work short term but long term without covering those three bases it, it won't do do you think the nhs needs to be more and what ways would you change um the mental health services which are on offer already what ways can they improve Gosh. so the first thing i'd give the staff more mental health support it is exhausting for the people that are doing a really good job um, there's not enough staff there's not enough resources so i'll be plowing many 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 into it and i'd be definitely uh, medicine has its place medicine absolutely have its place but i i they need to catch it sooner i know so many parents that take their kids to mental health support including myself and um it's not there they have to be sorry i don't know who your listeners are coming out going out to but you have to um, a child has to be suicidal or attempting it um, without a very pushy mum to get the help otherwise. They haven't got enough money, they haven't got enough understanding and it's just quicker um, for people to just pop out a pill and it just masks it. It's often circumstantial, we can change the circumstances of somebody. I was never ever once asked in all the years that I was going for these things, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Because alcohol was used as self-medication at the time when I was in my twenties. Um, and what's your exercise? What's, who, who do you talk to? What's your support network? What do you love to do? Nobody asked me any of this. How was your childhood? It's just not looked at. It's just, let's give them a pill and get them therapy. I'm like, therapy for what? What's the therapy for? Until they know the answers to that, what are they giving therapy out for? So I would have a great big, huge overhaul of it all. But, um, you know, I'm not a psychologist, so... No, I agree with you. I think you've raised some really, really interesting points. Um, and I'm sure the listeners will will also understand and it will, you know, give them some food for thought on, on certain topics. Where can people find you and what are your links? What's the best way to contact you for online coaching? Um, on Facebook, I'm Sonia Keats. You'll see me with like a pink or coral um headscarf on Sonia Keats K-E-A-T-S Instagram I am the same or email I guess which is S-O-N-I-A K-E-A-T-S 76 I wish I'd put that in <laughs> giving my age away at gmail.com wonderful thank you so much for your time oh, no, thank you Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week, Monday, for a new guest and a new exciting topic. Feel free to check out more of my content at ebbyonline.com.